What's up, everyone? Thanks for listening to the Life in Paradise podcast with your host, me, Brandon Harper. That's right. I'm just a regular dude living a regular life with lots of opinions, and I need a place to get them off my chest. You'll agree with some of them. You'll disagree with some of them. But either way, it's all good information. And if you're wondering where the name Brandon Hopper came from, well, I'll tell you at some point, but it's not going to be today. Thanks for listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. Sit back, relax, and let me take over your brain for the next 30 or 45 minutos. If you heard someone say that, what would be your first inclination as to what they were talking about? Because that is the exact line that I use to stop dogs when they lick themselves obsessively. I don't know why that annoys me. I don't think it's just me. I think it's all humans. But there is something about a dog who just lick, 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 and then like... It, I let it go on for a while, and then it, it kind of like I tune it out, and then all of a sudden I realize that the dog is still licking. I don't like that sound. It kind of annoys me. It kind of grosses me out. I know they have to do it. Whatever they're doing, they're grooming themselves. But I just tell them, like, just chill, stop for a minute, and let my ears recover from the lick, 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 licking. But it's funny how we become um, accustomed to the sounds around us, you know, and they mean different things. I, I always say if they made an alarm clock that sounded like a dog that was about to vomit, you would have everyone buy it because that meant for that sound, you are jumping up, you're hitting the door, you open the door, you're shoveling dogs out. It doesn't matter what you sleep in. It doesn't matter if you don't sleep in anything. You take no time to do anything. You jump up, hit the door, like, come on, buddy, come on, go, 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 go. And then they get right to the door, like, blah, right, like, inside the door man nothing worse than cleaning that up in the middle of the night mm. or diarrhea diarrhea i guess diarrhea would be worse it is worse to clean up in the middle of the night man about four months ago my house was like a diarrhea festival all three dogs were sick gypsy sleeps in her crate so there wasn't really an issue there and she actually i think she held it through the night and never had any accidents but Bentley and Bronco, man, I went to work. I'd come home from work. There'd be diarrhea. I'd go to bed. They'd go to bed. In the middle of the night, I'd wake up to the smell of it. And then that's the worst, man. When you wake up and you just smell it and you're like, oh, man. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. I've actually thought about just going back to sleep, but I can't. There's no way. I can't do it. It's impossible. I've thought about it. I may or may not have tried it. But with the smell of it and knowing that you're going to have to deal with it, it's kind of like whenever you, like, someone's like, oh, just take a nap before you drive home. You have a like, road trip, like a six-hour road trip. And they're like, well, you should just take a nap before you go. And there's no way that can be done. Like, you can't take a nap knowing that you're about to drive six hours. I mean, unless you kind of doze off on the couch. But 
You can't. I, I can't anyway. Like knowing that I have to drive, it's like pulling over and sleeping on the side of the road in your car. Like I, I can't do it. No matter how tired I am, if I know that I've got to keep driving, I will not be able to fall asleep. But yeah, the sounds of a dog, the smell too. You know, when you come home and you smell diarrhea when you walk through the door. During the diarrhea festival, you know, Gypsy goes to work with me every day. So we'd come home and the black dogs would like meet us at the door. They're all exciting, all waggly, and Gypsy's happy to get inside. And I would o- unlock the door and open it. And before I could get a whiff of it, I could, I'd look down and Gypsy would just turn and run the other way. And so I would know instantly that, oh man, she smells it. It's there. Diarrhea cleanup time. And yeah, she was right every single time. But you know what? I tell a dog, you know, I've put down two dogs in my adult life that like I was responsible for handling and, you know, my dogs. And I tell them on their deathbed, I say, all the diarrhea, all the vomit, all of the skunk sprays, all of the midnight trips to the vet, it was all worth it. And I feel like it really is, you know, all the money we spend, the time and all that. If it wasn't worth it, we wouldn't have them, you know. It's, uh, it's pretty remarkable how we bond with dogs and they bond with us. I know I've talked about this before, but it's just, um, it's very impressive to me how, how well we can bond with dogs. And no, a fur mommy is not bonding with dogs. Putting clothes on dogs is not bonding with him. We've been down this road. There's no need to go down it again. You want a baby? Go get a baby. You want a dog? Get a dog. Speaking of being worth it, I got something I'm going to talk about today that is a frequent hot button. It always gets tense. People always get emotional about it. This is the type of thing that people protest over. I don't know why I say it like that. I just, I feel like protesting is just a... Well, I'm going to save that for another day. My, my thoughts on protesting will be discussed at some point, but it won't be today. Let's just say I don't think they're that effective. We'll just leave it at that for today. But what I'm going to talk about today is women wages in the workplace. And the, just not the whole show, just one segment. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, my opinion on this topic is very unpopular. But I want you to listen to everything that I say and just, even if you don't agree with me, try to see it from my perspective because that's all really all I ask. But before I can get too far into the emotional stuff, I want to set some boundaries or define a couple things. And since we're talking about the workplace, I want to talk about wages and jobs. And there are assumptions that we have to make. In any type of debate or argument, like you have to assume some things to compare apples to apples. And so a lot of times, if you if you don't use these assumptions, then the argument it gets lost. It never gets you can't see eye to eye because you haven't you haven't set a baseline of what we can assume. So I'm a big proponent of defining things before you have hard conversations. So in this particular case, let's make the assumption that that businesses operate for profit, okay? Businesses exist to make profit, to make money. Now, there are charities also, and there's businesses who who perform goodwill. And perhaps they sacrifice profits in order to do things 
that they feel good about. Or perhaps they do good things in order to gain credit or credibility or increase their stock. And I don't mean stock in the sense of the stock exchange. I meant their their value in the public opinion, right? So let's just say, for instance, you have a company who does a lot of good things, right? They're, they're into doing good. And they're, they're doing it in order to gain credit so that people like them, so their brand value is higher. And this allows them to operate their business how they, they see fit. Once again, excuse the stutters. I'm doing this without uh, pressing stop or trying to. So anyway, they increase their value so that they can operate the business how they see fit. But regardless, we can't, we can't place expectations on businesses to do favors. It's basically, or goodwill, right? It would be nice. It would be, you know, we would appreciate it. But we can't expect them to because the sole purpose of a regular business, which is not a nonprofit, well, let me back up a little bit. Not the sole purpose, but the main, the, before anything else can happen, a business has to be sustainable. If it's not sustainable, it's not really a business. It's a charity or it's a shelter or it's a hobby business or something like that. But for, for a business to remain sustainable so that it can fund itself, it has to create profits. So that means for you know every dollar it spends, it has to make a little bit over that so that it can continue. So we've established that businesses are there to create profit. Next, I want to talk about how we determine wages. Okay, so when we're trying to figure out what to pay someone at the brewery, which this applies to all businesses, we sit down and we put the numbers to the paper and we say, okay, if this person works this much and they get paid this much, what can they do? What can they produce for us here within our business? How much does their production exceed their cost? So is it worth it? Can we, manage, can we take this person's job, this potential person's job, and split it up amongst four people and add 25% of that workload to other people's workload? Or do we actually need another person? These are all things you have to ask yourself. And once we've determined what this person that we're going to hire is worth, we also have to look at what they're going to cost us to train them. Because most people don't realize this, but new employees cost employers money for long before they're actually making the money. So you have to invest in an employee. I mean, you have to buy them protective equipment or office gear or a computer or you have to get their, their uniforms. And there's, and there's all sorts of costs that go into hiring someone. Not to mention training them. That's the most expensive part. So depending on the job and depending on how much they know, you have to get them caught up. How, this is how we do things around here. This is how this process works. This is who you talk to. When your paycheck's wrong, this is who you talk to if you want to take some time off. Here's where we keep the pins. Well, you get the idea. So we've established that we need to make money. We've established that we're going to hire someone. And now we've figured out what exactly it's going to cost us. Okay. So now we start looking for potential candidates. So for a split second, take all of your feelings about this and set them aside. Picture two employees. Both of them are clear. Neither are male or female. This is all hypothetical now. Two clear employees. Exact same backgrounds. Everything's the same. The phrase, all things equal. Now here's the kicker. One of these employees 
is ready to start and can work 40 hours a week, no problem. The other employee may or may not have to take some time off here and there. They may be gone for a month or two. They're not sure yet. There's some unknowns. Okay. Well, naturally, I'm going to hire the person without the unknowns, right? Because what happens when someone's gone from work? Well, their work has to still get done. So someone else has to pick up their work, which costs the employer money. Because they're paying people either by the hour or salary or whatever for an allotted amount of work. So whenever that workload gets increased because this invisible employee is not there, someone has to pay for that. Someone has to be compensated. And so I think you probably guessed by now that the, the person who's gone or missing from work, in this case, would, would be the female. It would be a woman. Once again, we're generally speaking, talking about a majority of the population in a marketplace. So women, when they get a job, there's a chance they may get pregnant. There's a chance that they'll take off work. There's a chance that they won't ever come back. I don't know any statistics. It doesn't matter because we can all agree to that. If there's a sick child in the, in the home, it's typically the woman who stays home. I know it can be the male. There's nothing wrong with that too, but we're speaking in generalizations. I'm sure you've probably put all the pieces together, but why would an employer hire someone for the same amount of money that will end up costing them more in the long run. So what employers do is they adjust their pay. And this is not like a conscious decision. The, the marketplace does this for them. So the, the pay is adjusted according to what we can expect to happen. Am I saying this is what I do? No, no, it's not. There's certain situations where I'd be willing to pay a woman more than a male because they're better at something. And, and so this, this is not us. I'm not defending the, the, the decisions that we make because anyone who's ever worked around me or worked for me will vouch that I'm happy to hire women and I'm happy to pay them the same amount that I pay a guy. All things equal, of course, right? I mean, in the concrete industry, I mean, y you can't pay a woman as much as a man because more than likely... She can't do as much. She's not strong enough because men physically are stronger. She can't move as much wheelbarrows full of concrete. So it's not as valuable to the employer to have them. But I, I think you get the idea, right? So there's, there's a couple other areas. I'm not going to spend too much time going through all the details. But the marketplace figures out these differences and it adjusts salaries. And, and furthermore, like... The number one person to blame for low wages is the person who's agreeing to work for that wage. So you can't sign up to work for a wage and then say, well, it's not enough. Well, you're agreeing to work for it. You, you agreed that, that that wage is enough for you to work. So how can you argue against it? And once again, I don't think laws need to be made to, to account for this. I mean, once again, we're going back to the whole favor thing, right? So we're we can't expect businesses to make decisions that, that are not directed towards profit. And, and if you feel strongly, then, then maybe you should start a fund and collect funds for women who are underpaid and distribute them. You know, it's really easy these days to do this sort of thing, but people won't do it. 
They want to sit back and just whine on Facebook and complain about men making more than women. And when you bring up the reason as to why, well, you're a misogynist, arrogant woman hater. So if I had a daughter, which I may someday, I would sit her down and I would tell her at a very young age, you know what? You can be whatever you want to be as long as it's within your physical limitations. And there will come points in your life when people discriminate against you because of your gender. And you will have to overcome that. You never ask exceptions. Never ask for favors because you're a woman. Prove to them. You know what? You may have to work twice as hard or three times as hard. But once you do, once you establish your value, you're good to go. You can set your own rate. If you go to apply for a job and you don't like what they're offering, don't take it. Don't take it. Go find someone else out there who will pay you what you think you're worth. And guess what? If you can't find anyone who pays you what you think you're worth, then you're wrong as to what you're worth. Because your labor and your time is only worth what someone will pay. And it's your responsibility to increase the value of your work. And you do that by working hard, following through with your commitments, meeting your deadlines. Look these men in the eye when you talk to them. Shake their hand with a firm handshake. If you walk around with confidence and you carry yourself with dignity, you can easily overcome these boundaries that you think are against you. And you know what? There may come a time in your career where a guy makes you feel uncomfortable, whether he makes an inappropriate comment or he touches you. And you know whose responsibility it is to stop that? It's your responsibility. You look him in the eye and you tell him, hey, do not do that. And they'll stop. And if they don't stop, then you come tell me and I'll make them stop. No, I mean, there's, there's systems in place to make things stop. But I know it's going to be awkward. I know it's going to be tough. I know you're worried about your career. But the right thing is to stop these people from doing these things. But the worst thing you can do is use your sex as an excuse because it's not. Women have paved the way for you. They've been in space. They've been in Wall Street. They've run for president of the United States. They've held high-level executive positions. So that's what I would say to my daughter. You know, all this came about whenever I saw the, uh, the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I saw people, you know, post these pictures of her for, you know, inspirational women movements or, or, or whatever their intentions are, I don't know. And I thought to myself, you know what? This is a perfect example of how women are capable of overcoming these boundaries that some people say exist. It just really bothers me when, when people post, someone, someone dies, and then all of a sudden people post pictures of them that had no idea who they were 48 hours prior. You know, these are the same people that go, we have a broken justice system, and then, you know, they, they couldn't name the Supreme Court justices. They don't know anyone in their local politics. But when, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies, they just repost pictures of her with no explanation, no words, no inspirational message, just a black and white picture. Like what? We're supposed to like, this picture is so powerful, like we're supposed to be moved by it? <laughs> Come on now. Give her credit. Write what you love about her so much. You, you, she's so inspirational to you. Why don't you go ahead and write a little sentence on there with your, with your fancy little text, your little typewriter text. Oh, that's right. Because you had no idea who it was a week ago. Speaking of no ideas... I've got a crazy story. The crazy story, well, I'll get to it in a second. But the end result of the crazy story was me thinking about the term, quote, roll down the window, end quote. 
and how we're probably not too far off from little kids asking people, where did that come from? Roll down the window. And I just picture someone like 50 or 100 years from now going, well, way back in the day, like in the 1950s and 60s and 70s and 80s, people drove cars. You know, they, they didn't drive themselves. You actually had to get in and drive it. And there wasn't a button to lower the window. There was a crank and it had a roller and like a little wheel on it. And you like had to turn this crank so the window would go down. And that's where the term roll the window down came from. And so, but the, the crazy story that got me thinking about that was uh, there's a friend of mine named Robert. He's a friend of Kale's also, but he's, he's kind of like a friend of the brewery. He comes to the brewery quite a bit. He moved here from Houston. He was an avid home brewer. He worked at a couple breweries there. And we let him just come hang out. He's from Malaysia. He always brings around some good food. He makes phenomenal beer. He always shares it with us. And so he's around all the time kind of just hanging out. Well, he just got back from a trip to Colorado, and he was like, you guys got to see my truck. We're like, okay. We come out there, and he opens the door, and the door panels are all ripped off the inside, and they're all torn up. The seats are all shredded up. He's got the door panels in the back of the truck. <laughs> he go, what happened to your truck, Robert? He said, man, a bear got into my truck. It locked itself into the truck. Didn't know how to get out. And was shaking the whole truck. He was biting the seats and tearing off foam. He was pawing at the door panel so hard, it actually bent the metal frame of the doors, and it destroyed the panels. And so I thought, man, that is the craziest story. I've got to tell it on my podcast. But yeah, he said his doors were closed. The truck was unlocked, and the bear somehow knew how to open the door handle, got into the truck, closed the door handle, closed the door. And he said he went out to his truck to get something, and it was pitch black. And he would have just gone and opened his, his door, you know, but he saw something move around inside there. He thought, oh, man, there's a, there's a person in there, you know? So he's like, hey, get out of there. And he, the bear's head popped up, and he said all he saw was this silhouette, this giant round silhouette and these two ears sticking up. And he was like, oh, man, there's a person in there with a, with a bear suit on. And and so he didn't want to open it. So he kind of pounded on the hood a little bit. And then the bear started going nuts inside of his truck, running around in circles, little crew cab uh, Toyota Tacoma, running around in circles inside the truck. And he said the whole truck was shaking. He said it looked like somebody was on the side of it, just shaking it back and forth, back and forth. And I don't think he ended up opening the handle. I think he said the bear just figured out how to get out. Oh, no, no, no. Someone came along with a pistol or something and, and slowly opened the door and backed up and the bear hopped out and ran away. It was a black bear. So they're not aggressive. They don't want to fight. They just want to eat. But yeah, I thought that was a hilarious story. I was like, dude, you should have videoed that man. That would have gone viral. Speaking of animals, these riders, I cannot believe we're not stopping them. I really can't. I know I've talked about it plenty of times, but you know, if it had been Hezbollah, that had been done so long ago. You know, I basically equate these people to toddlers. You know, they just, they're throwing fits, and we're giving them what they want. The, the most recent estimate I've heard is like over a billion dollars in damages. The insurance companies are going to have to eat up and, in turn, charge the businesses extra money, which will then pass on those costs to consumers. You know, we, we forget or we... 
we pretend like certain people don't exist. Like, you know what? I hate to say it. It may bother some of you. But there are people in our society who are flat out lazy. They don't want to work. They don't want to do anything. They want to just sit around all day. And so these types of people, the people who don't have any value of work, they're not motivated. They don't care. They're happy to live in filth. Okay, these people are out there. And, and instead of like saying, hey, these people exist, we don't need to do anything to help them because they're not willing to work. We make excuses and we say, well, they're looting and they're rioting because of blank. I don't care. I do not care. We don't let toddlers act that way. Why are we letting these people act this way? If there's something you don't like, if there's policy you don't agree with, screaming and throwing fits and destroying things and stealing TVs is not the way to get it changed. And that's really what bothers me is that we're catering to these people and we're showing them that their actions are unpunishable. And so they're going to keep doing it. It's going to get worse every time. How many processors do you think could name their city council members? Think they could tell you what district they lived in? Could they tell you who the mayor is? How about the county judge? Think they could name the congressmen in their area? What about the senators of their state? No, of course not. They know nothing of this. And I don't understand why governors of these states or even the president isn't saying like, guys, we want you to stop destroying things now. In fact, you're going to stop destroying things now. We're going to do whatever it takes to get you to stop destroying things. You know what else we'll do? We'll hold your hand through the process to get policy change that you think is bad policy. We'll show you who to talk to. We'll explain to you what it takes. Come on down to the city council meeting on Tuesday and just listen to what goes on. But no, instead of that, they're a political football. One side uses them as ammunition. The other side uses them as a shield. And that's pathetic. You know, I've said it before. Maybe I haven't. If I was a black person and I kept hearing the term, we got to get the black vote. We got to get the black vote. We got to get the black vote. We got to get the blacks. I'm like, what? what? What are they, a commodity? I mean, all you care about is their vote. It's clear. Look at what you're saying. We've just got to get their vote. Well, you, I, you know, I can't tell you how many Republicans. We got to get Colin Powell. He's a black man. He'll, he'll get all the votes. No, dude. We don't, we don't select people based on how many votes they're going to get. We select people based on how good they are. Well, man, we got to get Candace Owens in the office. She says everything that we think. You know, she's a black woman, and they can't say nothing to her. No, dude. You know what the problem is? The problem is that you're too scared to speak up, and so you have to have a black woman do it for you. That's the issue. We don't need to pick Condoleezza Rice just because she's black. The, the, the black vote is not a one thing. It's not granted they typically vote the same way. The, the black community all votes the same way, but we should not treat them that way. That, that is really embarrassing on us that we even have these Democrats who they got to, quote unquote, get the black vote. Are you freaking kidding me? Speaking of a political football, you know, I'm not too thrilled about how involved the government's getting in this COVID vaccine attempt, which <laughs> none of them can get their story straight. We got some people saying it's going to be a year and some people saying it's going to be a month and we got everybody in between and ain't nobody know what's about to go down. And I know Trump is going to want to take credit for it. He's going to, I suspect he will announce that there is a vaccine before election time. 
And I guarantee you he's worked a quote-unquote deal with these drug companies mainly for the sole purpose of him getting some credit. That's what I think. I think he wants the credit for the drug. So what's going to happen when the government takes credit for the drug? Are they going to pick who gets it? Are they going to get to pick how much it costs? Because if you think this drug's going to come out and it's going to have an infinite amount of supply immediately, you're wrong. There will be a very, very limited supply at first. And the people with money, they're going to up the price. They're going to be willing to pay whatever they can afford to. And then there's going to be this huge fight about how much this drug's supposed to cost and how much the government should pay for this drug. Once again, I'm not sure if the government should pay for the drug. I'm kind of undecided. Now, if these companies aren't willing to produce a drug without government intervention, then perhaps I'd be okay with it. If these companies said, look, we're not making the drug. It's not going to make us enough money. We're too busy making Viagra, and we're not going to stop making Viagra to make some vaccine that half these sheep aren't even going to take. So if the government were to step in and say, look, we've got these people that are shutting down our economy because they're terrified. We've got to have some kind of drug for them. The drug maker could go back to them and say, okay, put your money where your mouth is. You pony up some money and make it worth our while because otherwise it's not worth it. We're here to make money. There's no profit in this drug. All this is hypothetical. Obviously, if it's profitable, they're going to make it no problem. So then if, if that was the case, I would be okay with the government going to these drug companies and saying, we need a drug that does fill in the blank because I'm not a scientist. And the price to the customer shall not exceed blank per dose. How much is it going to cost us to get to achieve that? And so even then, I don't think the government should have a say in distributing it. But they will. They will. And, and the drug company would probably rather have the government have a say in how to distribute it or dictate who gets it first. Because if they tried to charge more money for the first rounds, everyone would go nuts. And so it takes some pressure off them. But if I owned the drug company, I would probably, probably stockpile a good amount, a lot, so that there wouldn't be too much of a shortage when I released it. And I would encourage doctors to prescribe it as they saw fit. You know, I would allot this amount per person, this many doctors, here's how much you get. The whole vaccine thing is crazy to me. We'll be lucky if we can get a 50% efficacy rate. But I know that um, there's lots of, let's just say, people who will have consumer confidence once the drug is on the market. Let's just leave it at that. Oh, yeah, one more thing. There's going to be a black market. People will be buying and selling it illegally. People will copy it. China's going to copy it. Just be ready for that, too. Okay, that's it. No more COVID drug talk. Recently, this last week, Governor Abbott in Texas announced that he's going to roll out the next phase of COVID opening policy. Basically, what that entails is restaurants are now allowed to seat 75% of their capacity instead of 50%. Still no openings for bars. This is where it gets squirrely, okay? Something fishy is going on. At first, when they shut down restaurants and bars, they told bars, sorry, you cannot open unless you have a full commercial kitchen. You have to have six items on your menu. You can't be running out of food. It's got to be a legitimate restaurant. Then they changed it, and they said, okay, uh, well, you may not, you don't need a full commercial kitchen. Um, just, you know, you can get like a toaster oven and and some pizzas, and, and you can serve that, and then you can open along with restaurants. Now, keep in mind, 
whenever they get this license, they have to pay the TABC $775. So you don't get to just go out and buy a pizza oven and some frozen pizza. Oh, no, you've got to pay $775 to the TABC to change your sign. So the, some people ran out and they did that. They got their sign changed to pay their $775. Then they come out and they say, Okay, so uh, you don't have to even have a toaster oven anymore. You can now put a food truck in your parking lot to get your new sign. So people ran out. They made a struck a deal with these food trucks who are starving because there's no people gathering anywhere in public. And they said, hey, dude, come park your food truck here. Uh, I need a commercial kitchen, and I need to serve food so that we can open and we won't get the COVID. So now you look around. You see a bunch of food trucks parked outside of a bunch of bars. And what's crazy to me is I think this has got to be a money grab on the TABC, the Texas Alcoholic Beverage Commission, because if we break it down in common sense land, there's absolutely no reason why a bar can't follow the same rules as a restaurant. And we all know those rules right now. You have to wear a mask if you're walking around. You can take your mask off at the table. You can't be socializing at the bar with your masks off. Like there's absolutely no reason that those rules cannot be applied to bars. So instead, the TABC is making people get some stupid license so that they can get their money, and now they can operate like a restaurant. And I don't understand why we don't just break it down to what is it we want? What is it we want? How do we want these people to behave? And hold them accountable to that instead of saying, well, if you do this, then you can do that. So if you open, if you have food, now you can call yourself a restaurant. Yeah, we realize you're not really a restaurant, but that's okay. In the meantime, you've got someone who maybe can't afford to pay that $775, and they're sitting there closed, losing money, getting farther and farther behind in their rent because of some stupid rule that says if you have a food truck in your parking lot, now you can be open and let 75% of your capacity in. Why not just tell the bars, look, dude, here's the rules. Follow the rules, and we'll let you be open. It's 50%, 75%, whatever the current percentage of the day is. So, yeah, I don't know. Our our distribution sales is just getting crushed. Like, it's these poor bars. I mean, I feel sorry for them. I really do. I think Abbott knows the groups of people that aren't going to really turn on him. Bars don't really have any stroke. There's no lobby. There's, like, some little association. They don't have any power against people like Chili's and Outback. And another thing. I've briefly mentioned why we're not getting communities to do controlled studies. But, I mean, could, could we not just go to a city and say, hey, guys, the numbers have been down. The curve's flat. We're not increasing cases. We're not increasing deaths. Those who want to wear masks, wear masks. Those who don't want to wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Let's just see what happens. Let's just see what the numbers do. Let's just do it for two weeks. But, no, we're just walking around, breathing our own spit. Day after day, no end in sight, following the rules. I mean, it just blows my mind that no one's questioning this, really. I mean, why are we not asking questions? Why are we just follow rules like a bunch of sheep? I don't know. I don't know. I love old people, but I still ask questions. I mean, especially now. Now it's it's all coming out that like everyone's like, oh, we don't really know if our data's right. Um, yeah, we had some errors. Uh, you think? Like, you think your numbers might be a little wrong? Of course your numbers are wrong. Here's why. 
Here's why. No one thought of this. No one's thinking of this. No one's asked questions because if you do, you hate old people. We have all these people, these testing sites. I don't know. The counties organized them, whoever. Someone's got these testing sites organized. You drive up, you get your test, you drive away. Your test comes back negative or positive. Your test comes back positive. Well, there's a new case. Okay, there's a new case. I know of a guy who tested positive, had to stay home from work until he got a negative test. He tested four more times after that. Positive, 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 positive. Every week week to 10 days he would test. He missed 60 days of work because they wouldn't let him come back until he had a positive test until he had a negative test. Finally gets a negative test. Goes back to work. You think that those four additional positives were, were organized in a manner that didn't count them because he had already been tested? No possible way. There's no way. So these people who are getting tested multiple times because their offices are making them, think that could have an effect on the numbers? I don't expect you to know how much. Do you think it could have an effect on the numbers? Absolutely it could. You got these little counties, these little municipalities that have no system in place to manage this type of data. They have no way to relay it. So it's preposterous to think that they can collect, organize, process and manage, and distribute this data and maintain accuracy. The numbers are going to be wrong. And the reason I think they're going to be wrong is because there's no system in place to manage this. There's nothing. People are just making things up, a system as they go, to transmit data. The tests should be tracked by social security number. That way, you know how many times a person's gotten it. Have they tested negative between two positive tests? How long did they test positive after they showed no symptoms? See, this is all data that we could have collected and managed to make decisions. Instead of a knee-jerk reaction, um, everyone just drive to a testing site and line up in cars and we'll test you when we can and we'll get you results when we can and just test and test and more tests and all we need is tests. Sorry, but um, there's a value for accuracy. So that combined with hospitals that are incentivized for people to test positive, I already talked about that one, the numbers are going to be skewed. So let's start over. Let's get some good data. We've seen the mistakes that we've made, or, or, or we just walk around like lemmings, wearing our masks, keeping our distance, canceling our sports, keeping our bars closed. Man, I hope with all sincerity that I can look back on this time period and laugh and laugh and laugh. And I'm not laughing at the people who've gotten sick or the people who've passed away. I'm laughing at the people who made all these knee-jerk reactions in this knee-jerk policy without knowing anything. Well, it's just too new. There's just too much. To just, there's too much happening. We don't know. That's exactly why you don't make policy. It's exactly why you don't make just a bunch of hard and fast rules. Well, well, you got to do something. Well, that something can be management. It can be crisis management. Proactivity in this situation is not always the best. Maybe it's best to say, okay, let's just see what happens. Let's just, we have a ton of money. We have a ton of resources. We're the United freaking States, okay? So we have this ship. We can move the ship around. It can be a hospital. We can rent hotels. We can turn them into hospitals. We have options. No one's turning into zombies. People aren't losing their minds. Let's just see how we can manage this thing before we create a bunch of policy that crashes our economy, punishes the healthy with no information. There has been no other time, no other plague, 
no other sickness where we quarantine the healthy. There also has been no other time other than right now that I've wanted to go outside and cook a steak. So I've got myself a Wagyu ribeye that I picked up at HEB. I don't eat a lot of steaks anymore. I eat maybe once every month and a half. But when I do, I spring for a good one. So I've got a Wagyu ribeye in there sitting at room temperature, getting ready to get salt and pepper on it. I'm going to fling it on that grill. I'm going to put some lump crab meat on top of it. And I'm going to eat it. I'm not cooking any sides. I'm not making any salad. I'm eating a steak. One more thing before I wrap, wrap, wrap this up. Kale and I were on a radio show, a real radio show, not even a podcast. Saturday morning, we were on uh, a local radio show called The Bad Blonde of Cars. It's a local girl about our age who grew up in a car family. Her dad's a mechanic. She does a one-hour show every Saturday morning, talks about different things in relationship to cars. Car fanatics appreciate it. It's always good information. I'm kind of a car guy. But anyway, she had us on to talk about our October feast that we're doing, and we got to promote it. If you want to check it out, um, you can use the iHeartRadio app or SoundCloud. Uh, Station was AM 1440, K-E-Y-S, The Bad Blonde, 919, I think was Saturday. Yeah. Thanks again for listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. Go out there, motivate your daughters, tell them they're strong, tell them they're beautiful. Explain to them how they're going to overcome anything in the workplace. Anything that's there, they can overcome it. Teach them that. Don't teach them what they can't do because they're a woman. Get involved in local politics. Hold your people accountable. Make change through policy. I appreciate you listening. Once again, my name is Brandon Harper, Life in Paradise podcast. Keep it tranquilo. Keep it tranquilo.